The Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast is sponsored by Prairie Care. You know, going through the process of getting help with your mental health can be very overwhelming. I definitely know that from firsthand experience. Prairie Care can help guide you through it and get you in touch with the help that you need. They've been offering mental health services to all ages in the Twin Cities of Minnesota since 2005. Whether you're looking for clinical services, a specialty outpatient program, or a more intensive level of care like inpatient treatment, Prairie Care has you and your family covered. Visit prairie-care.com to learn more. That's prairie-care.com. Hello there, my friends, and a big welcome into another episode of the Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast. My name is Brian Pyatt, and I am so glad that you are here holding space, as always, for however you are showing up right here right now in this moment looking forward to spending this time together so this week on the podcast we are are taking a moment to to really reflect and bring some awareness to the system that we are all surrounded by each and every day when we show up in the world when we step into society and how do we carve out space for us to be truly healthy in it? It's a big question. There's a lot of layers to it. And it's a question that Pilar Gerasimo has really devoted this stage of her career to exploring. And she is our guest here this week. Pilar is the author of the book, The Healthy Deviant, a Rule Breaker's Guide to Being Healthy in an Unhealthy World. She is the founding editor of Experience Life magazine and also co-host of the Living Experiment podcast. I absolutely loved this conversation. We talk about a number of things. She talks about what the unhealthy default reality is, something that... Um, She's kind of defined for herself. She explains a lot more about that, what it means to be a, a healthy deviant, and developing what she calls survival skills of the new era. So things that we can all be doing to really nurture and take care of our well-being and our health. And she describes and talks about some. Uh, she describes something um, called. Ultradian rhythms and taking ultradian rhythm breaks throughout the day. Uh, something really, really powerful that we, we dive into and, and so much more in this conversation. I hope, as always, that there is something in this conversation that you can take forward that serves you. Encourage you to go ahead and leave the rest. And let's go ahead and begin. I, I drove to Pilar's home in rural Wisconsin for this conversation. She lives on the farm that she grew up on. It was such a treat to, to make a little day trip out of this and record this episode for you. And I hope you enjoy. Sending love to each and every one of you out there. 
it is so wonderful to be here with you. Oh, Brian, I'm so happy to be here with you. I just, I wish all of our listeners could be like witnessing the view that we have right now to record this podcast. It's a pretty magical space. There's trees outside, nice open, spacious room that we're sitting in together. Um, thank, just thanks for inviting me out here. It's such an honor to have you come all this way from the city out into my little country mouse existence. Oh my God. I could literally, I could feel my blood pressure dropping as I was leaving the cities and getting closer and closer out here. To, I've to heard just a lot of people nature. say that. There. Do you hear that? Yep. That there's kind of a transition that happens often for people right around the time they're crossing the St. Croix River, which is what separates Minnesota from Wisconsin, yeah. of course. And that there's this sense of dropping of the guard and an opening of people's senses and they begin looking around at the periphery and at the horizon not just at the speedometer yes. and not just at the signs but it's feeling like you're entering a space that is more the scale and the speed that humans were meant to move at i think yeah why um why do you live out here well i live out here in part because i've lived so many other places that i now believe I would know if some other place called to me more. Yeah. And I've lived, I've lived in New York. I've lived in the Bay Area. I've lived in France twice, Boston. Uh, lived in Minneapolis-St. Paul for many, many years. Uh, but I grew up out here on this farm as a kid. And for many years, I thought it was just kind of a weird middle-of-nowhere place to live. And now I feel like it, it definitely is a weird middle of no place to live, but I love it now. And I think I had to grow up enough to appreciate what it was I had out here as a kid. And I needed to live other places to accumulate the knowledge and wisdom and experience that I needed to have to become who I am now. Yeah. But now I have the option, and this is where I feel my best. I feel like it's creatively a very generative space to be able to walk out my door and to be in nature. Yeah. Um, and to just have access to the sights and smells of a living environment is really important to me. The spaciousness is a big part of that. Yeah, yeah, that can, that direct connection to nature is rare nowadays. It is, it and I like. think it's part of why we have as many maladies of the body-mind as we do. We were never meant to be separated from nature in all of the ways that we are. Yeah. And I think um, our body-minds, I, I call that, you know, the intersection of our body and brain and everything that goes with it, are suffering from a deficit of that. It's like a new, almost like a nutrient that we don't get enough of in our daily lives, and yeah. we show the signs of that deficiency. Yeah. Well, there's so many things that that I'm excited to talk to you about. Um, and I, I, I want to start off with this term that I know you use often in your work, which is the unhealthy default reality. Yes. How do you describe to our listeners what that is? Mm. Well, for me, the unhealthy default reality is a name, a moniker that I gave to our whole society. I felt like when you start talking about words like society, people's eyes just glaze over. Mm -hmm. You know, what is that? It's just the background, right? It's the water we all swim in. Giving it the name, the unhealthy default reality, for me first was a descriptive attempt um, at explaining what it means to live in a society where the easy, automatic, default choices are typically unhealthy and produce unhealthy results. Yeah. And by that, I mean the default food that's available most easily, conveniently, affordably, that's most promoted and accessible to us. Uh, the most default pastimes, which are passive and often overstimulating. 
the default patterns of living when we get up and go to sleep and how often we rest or don't rest. The complying with those automatic default patterns is a lot of what gets us to an unhealthy place. I think I wanted to start with that concept as an antidote to thinking that what's making us individually sick is just a bunch of individual choices or a lack of individual willpower or some kind of you know failing moral mm-hmm. or ethical mm-hmm. or something. I think that that feeling that we individually are responsible for our own choices day by day yeah. is a bit of a canard. I, I really think that that's overemphasized, this personal responsibility angle. Certainly, there's some truth to that. Sure. But all of our choices are made in the context of this unhealthy default reality. So I wanted to give it a name first. And then I felt like I needed to give it a shape. I wanted to give it a visible identity. So when I was illustrating my book, I spent quite a lot of time creating what looks like the simplest illustration of a kind of a blobby form with tentacles that sort of reaches out and grabs us and pulls us in. And I almost see it like an immune system like a macrophage or something that's floating around and looking for anything that's slipped out of its grasp in an attempt to pull it back in. And so we're always getting pulled back into the unhealthy default reality, no matter how hard we might try or choose our way to a healthier way of life. Yeah. We're doing it in the context, the water we're swimming in is the unhealthy default reality most of the time and trying to get out of it and stay out of it is a life's work. Yeah. And it, it's a radical act, right? To, yes. to learn how to, how to, as you've described it, right, to be healthy in a system, in a society that in, in, in many, many ways is deeply unhealthy. Yes. And yet we're all immersed in it. And that's sometimes exactly we right. don't even realize it. Mm-mm. And that's part of the unhealthy default reality is to be mesmerized to the point or dis- distracted to the point or misled to the point that you don't yeah. even know what's happening anymore. You don't realize the, the context that you're in. You don't know what, what systems are working against you most of the time. And yeah. I, I love that you said learn, Brian, because I, I'm a really big believer that what is required to outwit the unhealthy default reality is a collection of skills. Mm-hmm. I call them healthy person skills or the skills of the healthy deviant. <laughs> yeah. But skills that healthy people have is really what separates them mostly from less healthy people. The people who manage to become and stay healthy typically have a bunch of advantages. Some of them are socioeconomic and privileges of various kinds that have allowed them typically to develop skills, to access skill sets, or to have skills modeled for them to go in search of those skills. People who are less healthy typically don't have those skills yet, but it doesn't mean that they can't have them. And that's really become my passion is helping people build the skill sets and identify, first of all, the skill sets that they really need, which often aren't the skills that we're taught are the skills you need. You know, it isn't just nutritionism and exercise skills, sets and reps and how to count calories and all of that. It's really much more how to get through a day without being sucked into the unhealthy default realities grip. Was there a process in your life, and I would imagine there was, where you started to kind of wake up just to see the unhealthy default reality and how that was was impacting you personally? Mm. Many, many, many wake-ups and many wake-up calls. I mean, I'll begin by saying, we talk about advantages. I had all of them. I had a sociologist dad 
my dad was a sociology professor at Augsburg and before that at Lake Forest College. And he got his degree from University of Chicago at the time that the University of Chicago was like the first place on the planet to really be developing positive psychology. Csikszentmihalyi, whose birthday just passed, I mean, he passed himself a while ago, but Mihai Csikszentmihalyi was a colleague of my dad's. So I grew up in a context where people were having conversations about what's normal and what's not. And what does it take to be a healthy, happy person? Where previously psychology was focused entirely on mental illness and, you know, diagnosable conditions and things mm-hmm. like that. So mental health was really about mental illness. And now psychology started taking this turn and an interest in positive psychology. I didn't realize it at the time, but I grew up with a vocabulary and an understanding and perspective that most people never had yeah. about what does it take to be a healthy, happy person, just as an interesting question. Yeah. My mom was this sort of back-to-the-land utopian idealist who was really interested in the question of like, how could we live lives more like we want to live? So I started with that, but even so, I got sucked into the unhealthy default reality over and over again, in part because I just, like most kids, rejected everything my parents tried to teach me. So uncool. (laughs) I'll show you, Mom and Dad. I I just wanted to be normal. We (laughs) all just want to fit in. And that is, in some ways, not an unhealthy tendency. The desire to be part of a group, to be accepted by a group, to go along with agreed-upon group norms, that's an adaptive behavior back from our tribal reality, you know, hunter-gatherers getting by and surviving. We needed each other. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to be part of an in-group and go along with that. Mm -hmm. The problem is that the group that we are now in is a post-industrial group that's been defined by advertising and media and really defined to help create a bunch of consumers Mm -hmm. and to be shame-based you know, in most of what we do and terrified of our faults and failings. So for me, what happened was that I went to sleep, let's say, for the majority Mm -hmm. of my childhood and adolescence. And at various moments, I would get wake-up calls in school or wake-up calls, like in college, I woke up again to a lot of things. As a, you know, feminist, I woke up to some things that I had been asleep to for a long time, still keep waking up. We're all waking up again and again. But for me, the biggest wake-up call, it's sort of an ironic and somewhat embarrassing story, I got interested in health uh, first in my 20s after I'd gone through a long period of trying to fit in and be normal and do all the normal things. I lost a lot of the natural health and fitness, mental, emotional, spiritual, and social that I'd had the benefit of as a kid growing up here on this funny, weird, intentional community and an organic farm with pretty healthy parents who had pretty healthy ideas and ideals and who gave me permission to do what I needed to do to be myself. But as I kept trying to fit in and go along with what I call now the crazy that passes for normal, Mm -hmm. I wanted to look the right way, have the right things, you know, be admired for the right reasons, achieve the things I thought I needed to achieve. All of that conspired to contort me in ways that ended up really costing me my health, physical and mental. Uh, Physically, I lost a lot of my vitality and my fitness. I went on, you know, kind of gained some weight and then lost weight by dieting, yo-yo dieting and exercise routines. And then I had body image problems and disordered eating, all of the anxiety and depression that comes along with that, feelings of not knowing who I was supposed to be. And at some point, I guess I understood that I wanted to be healthy 
but I think I wanted to be healthy more because I wanted to look healthy. Mm. I could see that I wasn't matching up to the image that society was showing me of what a healthy person should look like. And I was like, oh, I want what I want what's on the cover of that magazine. So the first attempts I had at getting healthy were kind of desperate, compliant attempts that actually made things worse for me. Yeah. But the interest in it I think in part because my mother and father had both been interested in natural health and integrative health, got me going down some roads that probably most people don't go down at first. And little by little, I started understanding what worked for me was often not the thing that was most promoted Mm. by the conventional health and fitness media resources. So it's like I had to start deviating from that early, but I was still pretty mixed up. When I started Experience Life magazine, I would say I was only about 50% into my journey as a health seeker. Mm -hmm. And I'm still not ever going to be all the way there. It's a journey, But it's really a a journey of discovery and trial and error. So what happened was when I started the magazine, I had the benefit of already being a pretty healthy eater and of exercising, but I didn't yet really understand the impacts of stress and Mm -hmm. mental compression that happens when you're working too hard and stressing a lot and not recovering enough. I didn't have the right systems in place for that. So what happened was one day I was under an enormous amount of pressure schedule wise, and I had a series of things that I had committed to doing to be quote unquote healthy, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to wake up and make this kind of breakfast. I'm going to get out and do this kind of exercise. And before my morning even got started, it got off the rails. A a story came in that wasn't good enough by my perfectionistic standards. And I could see, and I know this has happened to you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to have to spend a bunch of time editing this. And so I put the running shoes down that I was planning to go running in. And I put aside the breakfast that I was planning to eat. And a weird feeling started climbing through my body that I can now really only describe as a kind of war with myself. I had this feeling like I'm not doing the thing I said I was going to do that I need to do to be healthy because I'm busy writing this magazine about how to be healthy. Mm. And it (laughs) just created this sense of inner frustration that was so extreme that I couldn't focus on my work. I felt like I was going a little nuts. So I was like, I need to blow off the steam. That was my solution. So I went running up and down the stairs of my apartment, my carriage house, maybe 12 times until I was breathless and sweating. But I still didn't feel like I'd blown off the steam because it really wasn't steam I could blow off that way. And I stomped my foot on the floor of my house so hard that I broke the bone in my foot. Ouch. 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 That... I think was my wake up call. Mm. That moment of realizing I'd broken my body and that I had done myself some level of violence that I did not even know I was capable of because of this disconnect that I had. And I think ever since then, I've stayed awake enough because of the insights that came to me in that moment that I've been able to keep myself on, I would say more of like I wouldn't say straight and narrow because I wrote a book called The Healthy Deviant that is totally about getting off that path. (laughs) not doing that. But I think that for me, that was what was required to have the biggest initial wake-up call. You know, the title of your book being Healthy Deviant. um, I know know you've mentioned that a couple times here, but how how do you often like describe to people what being a healthy deviant is. Mm. Well, we talked about the unhealthy default reality a moment ago, right? Yeah. So 
think about that, that the unhealthy default reality is society, right? If you think about the conventional definition of the word deviant, a deviant, if you look it up in the dictionary, if you leave behind all of the negative associations of crazy people, criminals, and dangerous ne'er-do-wells, mm. lunatics, you know, yep. whatever, the basic definition really has to do with someone who is not adhering to their society's expected behaviors and norms, the expectations that the society has of what passes for normal. Sure. And that makes sense. Again, we have to agree to live in any kind of civil society on a certain number of norms. And many of them are constructive. Many of them are perfectly worthwhile. You know, not mm -hmm. doing violence to people randomly on the street. That's a good norm, yeah. right? So healthy deviance for me is any person who willingly defies the unhealthy norms and expectations of a predominantly unhealthy default reality type society yeah. with a purpose in mind the deviating from those normal expectations is done for the purposes of having a higher than average level of health and vitality and resilience and autonomy. So you're making a choice to deviate from the norms that are pretty much breaking everybody else down. And that is my definition of healthy deviance. Yeah. Is anybody willing to defy those norms? It isn't necessarily a person who's already perfectly healthy sure, or who's complying with all of the perfect health and fitness prescriptions that our society has given us, many of which, in my view, are not helpful. In fact, yeah. many times they're counterproductive. But the willingness to defy those norms that are working against you yeah. and working against you and everyone you love, really, yeah. care about. It's, it's almost like kind of just envision, envision it almost as like that process of kind of raising your hand and being like, this system that we're all in, I don't think is... is serving me and is actually m more interested in stressing me out yes. than it is in actually living a life of well-being and, you know, a, a life where I'm more connected to the present moment and I'm actually here for the moments of my life instead of sucked away in the machine of busy, 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 stress, stress, stress. Yep. Perfectly said. I don't think I could have said it better myself, Brian. And I, it, whether it's, um, primary aim is stressing us out. Hard to say. That's certainly the effect. But I think to some extent, the aim that the society has right now is one that's built around consumerism. Yeah. And the more problems you perceive yourself as having, whether they're stress, anxiety, depression, irritation, inflammation, pain, a chronic sense that something's just not quite right with you, whatever mm -hmm. it may be, your appearance, what you've earned, achieved, how you compare to other people, that chronic, unrelenting sense of you not being okay in some way causes you to go out looking for solutions. And those solutions cost you time, energy, and money, and more. Mm -hmm. And most of all, your attention. Because while you have your attention on all the things that you think are wrong with you, you're not paying attention to any of the circumstances that produced those feelings. Mm, mm -hmm. In my book, I have an illustration that is basically, I call it the forest for the trees. And the idea is that you're a little person standing with a gigantic billboard in front of your face, really at close range. So you can't see past the billboard. Mm -hmm. What's written on the billboard, which has got some trees behind it. So even if you do try to peek around that sign, you really can't see because it's yeah. just trees. What's written on the sign is, what is wrong with me? 
And that's what you're reading. And what you can see on that billboard is your rash, your migraine, your your depression, your anxiety, your addiction, your inadequate income, your wrong shoes for the season, the bad haircut, the, you know, Mm -hmm. the trick is that while you're obsessed looking at that sign of what's wrong with me that our society has put right in front of your face, you cannot see beyond the tree line. And what's beyond the tree line is a whole forest of conditions that have produced this reality where all you can see is what's wrong with you. But what happened in the 2.5 million years that humans have been alive, that is what produced these conditions. Most of it happened in the last couple hundred years though, because in the 2.5 million years that human beings were developing on this planet, they lived pretty much one way, a hunter gatherer existence in small, mobile, nomadic tribes of people who depended on each other for everything and who collaborated to get through this pretty challenging existence in many ways. But they learned the skills that they needed to survive through generations and generations and generations of their ancestors. Then we got the, you know, agricultural revolution about 10,000 years ago. And for the first time, human beings started doing things like domesticating plants and animals and having surpluses of things and then being able to specialize in what they did beyond hunting and gathering. We had artisans and merchants and people moved into cities and towns and villages. All of those conditions produced a bunch of other technological and environmental changes that pretty rapidly in historic time anyway, led to the industrial revolution of about 200 years ago. Mm. And since that time, the escalating pace of change has just continued to accelerate. Like it's unbelievable. We had technological revolution, maybe 60, 65 years ago, push button things, the first computers, everyone started getting appliances and televisions. And then 25 years ago, we had this digital revolution and mobile constant always on media and the proliferation of channels and the endless stream, a constant advertising and constant messaging about what's wrong with you and the so-called solution to those problems. Those conditions are unprecedented. Those conditions of living with that sign in your face every single moment of the day, we're the first generation in the history of humanity to ever have been living with those circumstances. No wonder we're struggling. And until we can see behind that billboard, we're not going to come up with the solutions that we really need, the skills that we really need to survive and thrive in the, yeah. the world that we have now. It, I hear all these things, and I'm always so frustrated just by the, the constant blast of information that we're getting hit with all the time mm-hmm. through technology and just the, 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 the hectic pace of life and, and the stress and the do more and need to achieve more. And quite frankly, it makes me want to just move into the woods and never engage with it ever again. <laughs> like I'm literally at that phase of my life right now. I, I tell people that, that are close to me that all the time. Like I am so ready to just move away, live off the land and never engage with it ever again. Mm-hmm. And I also recognize that that's probably Number one, not realistic for me. Number two, is that really what I want? Yeah. I think, is there a way, I guess my question for you is, is there a way to protect our well-being within this system that we find ourselves? Mm. Which I think is right what you're getting at with yeah. being a healthy deviant. Exactly. So that becomes the question, I guess. is How like, do you do it? Because the system is here. Mm-hmm. We're all in it. I know a lot of people listening are going, well, this is just how it is, right? right. I, I have to make a living. I have, and I told all very valid things, yep. you know, super, super valid. 
And how do we start to move in that direction of protecting our well-being yeah. in this system that we find ourselves in? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> and I know, and I know that it's, and I say that from a place of, mm. it's not as simple, right? As like, give us the five tips <laughs> to be <What>? happy. <laughs> Because that's not how it works. Right. The listicle solution is part of the problem, of course. Yeah. And that's that's true, too. Um, it's funny. Let me first say that I in the in a lot of my work, what I describe it as is like the misunderstood problem, first of all, which yeah. is what we just described, and then the renegade solution. And the, by the renegade solution, what I really want to emphasize is that if you do not understand the actual problem, you will come up with a million solutions that look like solutions that don't actually solve the problem, the base problem, which mm. is that we are not wired up to live in an environment like the one we're living in. Yeah. There's a name for this problem. It's called evolutionary mismatch. Mm. And it really just means when you have a genetic code that's been developed over 2.5 million years, and then you spontaneously change the entire environment, yes. you no longer fit with that environment and your body and mind show the signs of that. So the solution that I'm advocating for begins with understanding the problem. That is part of the solution. So we've talked a little bit about that. The next part of the solution is disrupting your relationship with this unhealthy default reality. Mm. Focusing not on what's wrong with me, what's written on the billboard, although we all are going to spend time dealing with our migraines and our rashes yeah. and our heart murmurs and whatever else is coming up as the result of this. And... If you put your attention on what is my relationship with this unhealthy default reality and what skills do I need to alter that relationship, you will be on a much better path than if you just keep dealing with mm. all of the eruptions of the so-called problems that the unhealthy default reality is sticking in your face. Sure. I'll give you some examples of this. So in my book and in most of the work I do around healthy deviance, I advocate, I advocate for what I call three nonconformist competencies. Three, because it's a listicle. Yeah. And three, because nobody can keep track of more than three things right now because our so heads true. are completely overwhelmed. So, true. so I'll describe those first, and then we'll talk about tactical strategies for dealing with these things. So the first nonconformist competency is amplified awareness. And this is different than mindfulness, okay? A lot of people think, oh, mindfulness, take three deep breaths. No, I mean keeping your wits about you enough that you can notice what the hell is happening to you from the moment that you wake up yeah. until the moment that you fall asleep. What is triggering you to make healthy or unhealthy choices? Which environments are supporting you in making healthier choices and which are degrading those abilities yeah. to, to, to not willpower, not talking about that, but to have willingness to stay awake, to notice what works and what doesn't work for you, to notice what gives you an upset stomach, to notice mm. when you start getting the headache, notice the circumstances that produce the rash or the eye tick that many of us get by the end of the day, mm. when you start losing your marbles, when you start being reactive, noticing the patterns that are working against you, noticing why do you get a candy bar because it's sitting there right by the cash register. Who set that up? When you start reshaping your relationship instead of feeling victimized by the circumstances you're living in, you start to feel pissed off. You start to feel a little bit like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. I went into the grocery store for baking soda the other day and I came out with caramel corn. Now, how did I lose the amplified awareness? First of all, yay me, I noticed that that happened. That's a win. Mm -hmm. Give myself credit for that. Mm -hmm. But how did I end up shopping at a time of day where I was hungry 
enough to think that caramel corn looked good, even though I don't like it particularly. It's not, no, definitely no, it's not good for me. What got me worn down and reactive and impulsive enough to do that? Amplified awareness, if you don't have it, you're a sitting duck for the unhealthy default reality because mm. it has a thousand henchmen always out to grab you. The tentacles of the unhealthy default yeah. reality read out and they reach out quite literally, but sometimes getting you by the nostrils. Yes. Oh, a Cinnabon. Oh, French fries. You're suddenly hungry for those things. Yeah. So amplified awareness is noticing what's going on inside you and around you and noticing at a level that is amplified beyond what normal people are capable of maintaining throughout the day. The second nonconformist competency is how you maintain that amplified awareness. It's called preemptive repair. And by preemptive repair, what I mean is doing things that help you get ahead of the damage that's done to you just by virtue of living in the unhealthy default reality. Mm -hmm. You mentioned being overstimulated by media. That is a really good example, Brian. You've noticed great job on your amplified awareness, that when you have too many messages coming at you all day, it leaves you feeling depleted, distracted, worn out, overwhelmed. So what can we do, preemptive repair, to avoid too many messages and streams and beeps and blings and notifications going off? Some of them, I think society is doing a pretty good job of reflecting back to us. Turn off your notifications when you can. Put things on do not disturb. Don't have the television playing in the background all the time. But also don't get up and first thing in the morning, look at your phone. Don't get up first thing in the morning and let the media world come at you while you're still super vulnerable and waking up. Don't wait until you're ravenously hungry to eat something. Don't wait till you're dehydrated to drink something. Don't wait to rest until you're exhausted. I'm getting ahead of the curve a little bit. Exactly. Getting ahead of it. Because I will say, I I am 100% aware of how unhealthy I feel after I engage with social media. And yet I will be very upfront that this morning, that was the first thing I did. I looked at my phone. Yeah. And so so even having the awareness, once again evidence of how powerful all this all is yes that we can have that awareness that the least healthy thing for me to do right now when i wake up would be to open up instagram yeah and what do i do yeah i open up instagram yeah it's like holy cow <laughs> i mean it's why it's so powerful yeah and so i just share that from the standpoint too of um everybody out there like it is I'm not good. I'm not perfect at this. Nobody's perfect at it. Right. We're all just like trying to do the best we can in it. Yes. When I say we're the first generation in the history of humanity to be living this way, what I mean is that we are all having to experiment our way through it. And that's why Dallas and I called our podcast The Living Experiment. It's just like none of us has mastered this art. I feel like a lot of the reason that you and I do what we do is that we're pioneering out there at at the sort of frontier of what could it maybe look like to be a healthy person in this unhealthy world. We can't all go live on mountaintops or in caves or in forests. And if we did get out there, we'd be terrified because there's hyenas and things that we're not prepared to deal with because we don't have those skills anymore. So I think what we're developing now, I call oftentimes the, the survival skills of the new era, the present moment survival skills that we need to get through this thing called life, as Prince would say. Um, but also to do it with, joy and to do it with hope and to do it with love for each other and this planet in a way that has been missing from the previous, you know, 50 some years that I've been alive. I've been having to kind of wiggle my way out of this experimental trap that I think we've all been in. So when I figure out something that works, I want to share it now. And I think you saw one more thing, right? So I just wanted to, 
as you're talking about this, I posted, so this is so funny here. I am talking about how unhealthy social media is. And now I'm like, so I posted something on Instagram <laughs> the other day that, that you responded to actually. And so that we should talk about it. It was a, um, it's like this little thing that somebody tweeted out or something that said, Hey, sorry, I missed your text. I am processing a nonstop 24 seven onslaught of information with a brain designed to eat berries in a cave. <laughs> love that. <laughs> like when I read that, I was like, just was like, yes, mm-hmm. that's it. Like that's our brain it. is not, I don't, and I don't have the physiological research to back any of this up, but I just don't, it doesn't feel like our brains are designed to be blasted with the kind Mm-mm. of information that we're blasted. Mm-mm. No. And there, this day. is the name again, evolutionary mismatch applies to that that's scenario. I I, exactly. Yep. And there's a ton of research to show exactly what happens when our brains get bombarded with too much information, particularly when they don't have time to recover. Yeah. It's sort of like physical works out, working out, right? Where you're, if you're lifting really heavy weights every day, you don't get the benefit of those hypertrophic challenges. Your body is breaking muscle down, but not having a chance to repair it. Mm-hmm. You just keep breaking it down and breaking it down and breaking it down. You don't get stronger. You get injured. The same thing happens with the brain. It has a set of neuro circuits, you know, a a very lovely, incredibly complex, they say maybe the most complex thing that we've ever discovered is the human mind. But it isn't capable, particularly living in the circumstances we're living in, of having nonstop incoming information. It's like our inbox overflows. What's really intriguing to me, and this is back to preemptive repair, one of the strategies um, we're going to talk about in a moment has to do with taking these preemptive breaks where you very consciously choose to shut down the flow of incoming information with the purpose of letting your brain organize and file more or less and connect the the synaptic network circuits that need to be connected to make sense of that information and to put it in places that it's accessible later rather than just having it flow. People call it one ear out the other, right? You're like that feeling of, I know I read this book or heard this podcast, but... I can't tell you what it was about. Right? It's not in there. So that sense of overwhelm that I think a lot of us are feeling is caused by many things. But in large part, one piece we all have in common is that too, min- too much information, too much media, too much always on stuff. And preemptive repair includes very consciously limiting the unhealthy default realities exposure to you and vice versa. Basically, I need to wall myself off in certain ways and at certain times in order to prevent damage from happening. Because Mm -hmm. once I am in that overwhelmed, overstimulated, overbombarded state, I am not going to have access to the best functions of my brain. I'm no Mm -hmm. longer going to have full access to my common sense, my self-regulation, my ability to discern yes or no, I just am going to be at the mercy of the unhealthy default reality. So with a brain that is designed to be eating, picking and then eating the berries, let me be clear, part of the system that we grew up with in our evolutionary past was we go out together foraging and hunting. We're picking berries and having an experience of, look, there it is. My hand is reaching out. I am plucking the berry from the bush. I am holding it in my hand. Each element of that experience has its own reward, has its own dopamine hit, right? That was the social media of old. Oh, look, a a berry. berry. (laughs) 
exactly. <laughs> so true. Now I get to bring the berries back and have my entire group of people be like, look, berries, you won. Good job, yes. Pilar. Thanks for bringing the berries back. Now let's enjoy eating some berries together. And you're doing it as a collective. Yes. Right? Which totally is a whole other different part experience. of this. Yeah. Yeah. So another piece of preemptive repair is designing your days, designing your life in ways that mimic more, not perfectly, but more of the patterns that would have worked for our ancestors in terms of Mm. work and rest, in terms of social support and reward systems, in terms of access to daylight and sunshine and breeze. The fact that we're sitting here right now in this lovely space surrounded by light and natural movements of the trees and breeze blowing through makes this a much more rewarding experience sensually, Mm. sensorially, Mm. I mean, then it would be if we were sitting in a cube at one of the many media environments that you and I have both worked in. I'm more alive because you're alive as a healthy person sitting here giving a crap about what I'm talking about. And this is rewarding. Like this feels good to me. Me too. So these are all aspects of preemptive repair. Who do we surround ourselves with? What do we surround ourselves with? Where do we go? How do we spend our time and energy? Mm-hmm. So those are all strategies. And this brings me kind of neatly to the third nonconformist competency, which is answering that question. How do we do this? The third nonconformist competency is continuous growth and learning. And that really means that you cannot develop all of these skill sets at once. You can't do it instantly. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be an holistical. You have to be committed to lifelong learning and to continuous growth as a human being to develop the skills that you need right now and to continue to develop new skills in an environment that's changing constantly. I don't know about you, but like somebody told me about chat GPT while I think I was getting my teeth cleaned, Mm -hmm. you know, eight, nine months ago. And I was like, what chat, what? Now it's freaking everywhere and everyone's reorganizing their businesses and their personal lives around it. And that didn't exist in my reality even a year ago. And now it's dominating everything. So guess what? I need to develop a new set of skills for deciding how much AI do I actually need to know about? Where do I want to use it in my life? How do I need to be concerned about the impacts it might have? Skill sets, more skill sets I need to learn. And that can be overwhelming too. So pacing ourselves, accepting that we're going to be in beginner's mind for the rest of our lives and embracing the challenge of learning just what we need to learn and time for us without trying to get ahead of ourselves yeah. and overwhelming ourselves more. And I love that point about that. It's not a, it's not a quick fix, Mm-mm. you know, cause, cause that's again, part of the system that we live in is very, all the narrative is very much like buy this, do this. Yes. You'll feel better. If you don't feel better right away, move on to the next before and after pictures, show me before and you after know. picture. I'll take the after how much can you yeah. have it delivered by tomorrow? Yeah. Or by drone today. (laughs) Totally. And and so that's, I think, a big part of well-being in general, right? Mm -hmm. It's just understanding that these are are gradual shifts that we implement that over time kind of develop momentum. Yeah. And build and build and build. And that's that's not always in line with the narrative Mm -mm. that we're blasted with when we step out into the world. Exactly. So here's some good news about that, because I think by this time, a lot of people are like, okay, 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 I get it. There's a big problem. (laughs) Uh, I can't quite hold that in my mind. There's some big solution. Uh, I can't quite hold that in my mind. Let me give you a couple of very tactical, simple things that are actually quite quick to do. Mm -hmm. Because one of the interesting things about the the strategies that at least I've embraced, they often have worked faster and better 
than the things that were called instant silver bullet solutions, which ended up not working for me at all. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I would try and fail and try and fail and try and fail with them for years, convinced that I just needed a better instant solution. So one of the funny ironies is that like the first, I, I said I've got three nonconformist competencies, handy listicle, and mm-hmm. three renegade rituals, also a handy listicle. Love this. So the very first renegade ritual is called the morning minutes practice. This is different than like the miracle morning extravaganza that a lot of people have this very complicated set of rituals that they do. If it works for you, great. That's one of my first standards. If it ain't broken, don't fix it. So if you love what you've got, stick with that. But my only minute, my only morning uh, commitment is to spend the first three minutes of my day doing something non-electronic, non-digital, not plugged into media that I enjoy. Mm. So... It would be ideal, yeah, if we could get through an hour without looking at our phones. But I'll tell you what, if you can create the willingness when you wake up to separate yourself from any of your digital devices or any media creating devices for three minutes and see what happens, you will be astonished at how much you gain from this experience. And this is a game changer that has been reported back to me by thousands of people now. It seems too simple to work and yet amazing, it's incredible. What happens is, I think, two important things. There's more, but the two most important things are, one, you take advantage of your brain's theta state. And the theta state is this real interesting in-between state between sleeping and waking, where your mind is super impressionable and vulnerable, but also hyper-creative and connected to your subconscious. So it's like gold. For you, if you take your first three minutes, they're yours to set intentions, to notice how you are, to amplify awareness moments, whatever they are, and to be with yourself and to have the noticing of like, what would feel good to me right now? Maybe just sitting here, maybe just lying in bed a little longer, maybe getting up and having coffee and just looking, see what the weather's like, maybe listening to the birds, playing my guitar, petting my dog, snuggling my partner, whatever that is. Three minutes of that without the interference of the unhealthy default reality will blow your mind. Because it's probably mm. the only time of the day that you're going to be in touch with your authentic self. Yeah, like what do you want? Instead Amazing. of what's the world telling you that you should want. Exactly. Yeah. The second really important thing that's going to happen is exactly what you already intimated, Brian, which is how hard it is yeah. to notice how in the grip of the unhealthy default reality we are, that even three minutes feels like an eternity because we're so addicted to the devices and we're so habituated to looking outside of ourselves for information about how we should feel, what we should care about, what we should do next. When you notice how hard it is to do that three minute morning practice, you will understand why it is also so difficult to do things like diet and exercise regimens, Mm -hmm. why developing a meditation practice often seems out of reach for people. I'm not saying it is, but it feels that way. But if you can get to the willingness of, I can do three minutes, then you can do anything. Beautiful. It's just an evolution of that Beautiful. same strategy. Yeah. Mm. Love that. Love that. Love that. And I, morning routines are just, they just feel so like cozy to hear about. <laughs> I've always, like I love hearing people's morning routines. Yeah. It's such a sacred time of the day. Yeah. For Isn't, this reason. You know. Literally sacred because you have access to kind of your soul level humanity that you don't have access to by four o'clock in the afternoon or even by 10 o'clock in the morning after three conference calls and 27 emails and how many notifications on your phone. And I will say too, you know, I think there's a, there's the same (sighs) danger 
in the attractiveness of morning practices. Mm. And I now I'm seeing people even making fun of them, you know, the perfect influencer morning yeah. ritual where you have 20 minutes of meditation and a green juice followed by your, you know, nature know. walk grounding in your copper, whatever mat or, you know, I don't know, yeah. but it gets to be so complicated that people kind of ace themselves out of it. It's yep. like, I now I don't have 45 minutes, so I can't do it. And I yeah. feel like I'm failing part of the try fail cycle. My morning practice doesn't look as Instagram a bull as sure. that ladies. I'm failing. Yeah. Ah, Darn it, I'll have a donut. So the last time that I was here with you, um, when I interviewed you, you told me about um, ultradian rhythms. Yes. And I'm telling you, there were a couple things that you told me that day that have stuck with me, and that was one of them. Mm -hmm. For people who have never heard of ultradian rhythms and what they are I, I genuinely my friends like listen to this it's it's like p really powerful stuff mm. um how what are they Tell i'm so glad them. that that stuck with you i want to just say i've spent the last two years three years now on a rampage to educate the world about ultradian rhythms because truly aside from the morning minutes practice which is the first renegade ritual yeah. the ultradian rhythm breaks which is the second renegade okay. ritual so is the most mind-blowing thing for people it has given people back themselves and their days in ways that i cannot begin to overemphasize so what they are ultradian rhythms are like circadian rhythms shrunk down to mini size and if a circadian rhythm goes on a 24-hour clock cycle right mm -hmm. night and dark light and day, your body is awake or sleep. Circadian rhythms, when they're disrupted, you know what happens, right? With jet lag or mm -hmm. pulling all-nighters, you start getting really bad symptoms. People who do shift work and yeah. have disrupted circadian rhythms get sick at an incredibly accelerated rate, and they suffer all kinds of problems during the day and night. Ultradian rhythms have a very similar impact, but they're smaller. The word ultradian is formed from ultra, meaning many, mm -hmm. and dea, like day, many times throughout the day. Ultradian, dian. So ultradian rhythms, instead of happening every 24-hour cycles, they happen on a 120-minute cycle, basically. Every 90 to 120 minutes, your system goes through a peak of energy and productivity, followed by a trough or a low spot. And we all experience it, but we fight it. What happens mm -hmm. is this. You get up in the morning. Let's say you do your wonderful three-minute yeah, morning three practice. Yeah. <laughs> or your four-hour morning routine that you're <laughs> yes. and now you, you finally <laughs> yeah. have a moment yeah. where you're operating pretty well. And most of us do feel that the mornings are our most productive times, yeah. in part because we're just coming off eight hours of repair from sleeping, or yeah. six hours, or five hours, or two hours, or however much sleep you manage to get. Yeah. Your body is in its most repaired state, and your mind is in its most repaired state. Mm -hmm. So you're doing pretty good. You move from being asleep into awake and for about 90 minutes, you enter a period of high productivity and high focus. What happens though, is that as you move into that product productivity and focus, you're burning a lot of metabolic energy and you're using a lot of neurosynaptic circuits. And that is producing a whole bunch of interesting metabolic waste, mm -hmm. cellular debris, neurosynaptic snippets that don't really know where to get stored or filed. You're just inboxes filling up. Mm -hmm. And the body and mind both experience that accumulation of the byproducts of all of that productivity as a kind of pollution. Let's just yeah. think about it in mechanical terms. So if you're driving a car down the road, the exhaust pipe is directing pollution out into the atmosphere. N not great, right. but 
in the human body, what's happening is it's just building up. That pollution is being redirected into the cab of your car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're breathing it, wow. floating in it, smelling it, whatever. And you can't function very well with all that crap. You're detoxified, you're depleted. And so your system begins to send you the signals of stress and fatigue mm-hmm. as an indicator. Hey, Brian, it's about time we took a break. Brian. Hey, Brian. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm I busy. <laughs> I can't think straight. And I'm not really stringing my sentences together. Well, I'm making a lot of typos. I'm starting to feel inflamed and I'm getting a backache and I need to go to the bathroom and I'm hungry. But we fight all of those different signals that our body gives us to take a break. And instead we just keep going. Yeah. Maybe we get coffee. Maybe we get sugar. Maybe we just hunker down and try harder. And what happens is that Instead of taking the 20-minute break that our body is asking for after 90 mm-hmm. minutes of productivity, we power through it. And we do come back up naturally, just like day-night cycles. These ultradian rhythms just keep going. Mm-hmm. So we'll start to get another rise back up at some point. Maybe we chalk it up to the coffee or the cigarette or whatever. Yeah. But what's actually happening is that we're just entering our second ultradian peak. But it's not as high as the first peak because mm-hmm. we didn't take the break. Had we taken the break our body would have taken advantage of that downtime to do all of this repair, rest, recovery, rehabilitation work it needs to do. Mm. And I'm talking about every system in your body, not just your brain, your blood sugar, your hormones, your digestive system, your immune system. All of those need the benefit of this break to recalibrate and reboot, basically. So they've done studies Many of them actually military studies. Interestingly, U.S. Department Mm -hmm. of Defense and the Israeli Department of Defense are two of the best housings of warehoused data on ultradian rhythms. Because why? Because the military and people who are interested in efficiency have noticed that when people don't get breaks, bad things happen. You know, people who are trying to defuse bombs can't do it for eight hours in a row. We know that pilots are forced to take breaks over the road truckers. Sometimes, unfortunately, the medical personnel that are taking care of us are not taking those breaks. And it's a big part of why there's so many medical problems and accidents and things like that Mm -hmm. happening. Mistakes. When we don't take the breaks... It's almost like our, our, let's say the Stephen Covey says, you know, sharpen the saw is one of the s- habits mm-hmm. of effective people. We don't sharpen the saw. The, shark ke- the saw keeps getting more and more dull. And we just keep trying to saw harder with a dull saw with predicted problems coming from that. Yeah. So preemptive repair would be noticing the first signals of this fatigue, brain fog, inefficiency, making mistakes and taking the break earlier rather than not taking it or taking it later. If you can do that, what happens, and this is again why people report back, including you, that this is such a game changer, they can feel it almost immediately. They take a 15 or 20 minute break. Something is better than nothing. We can have a whole Mm -hmm. conversation about that. But if you take something approximating a 20 minute break, what happens is you get this second wind. And it's almost, if not as good as the first one, And this goes on throughout the day. And if you keep taking these breaks preemptively before you're exhausted, before you're inflamed, before you're a basket case, you end up with more total productive time in your day because you get more of those peaks that are as high or as high Mm. as the first one. And you're not also breaking yourself down so that you're a wounded creature trying to get through your day. Yeah. So, so much of us heard so many of the, so much of the day we're like fighting our innate, like what our body is, is asking for. Yes. 
and I and when I think again whole other podcast episode how rest in our society is viewed as lazy we don't need it power through keep going Mm -hmm. but I think what's what's amazing about the old trading rhythms is that actually allowing yourself to rest in the long run helps you be more productive absolutely and and productive in the sense right in like truly being able to show up Mm -hmm. in a more full Mm -hmm. embodied way yep and let's discern a little bit even more beyond productive meaning you can crank out more widgets productive in terms of like I talked, I I think I used the word earlier, autonomy, when I talked about what you're trying to do as as a healthy deviant is to reclaim your vitality and energy and resilience, but also your autonomy. And by that, I mean your ability to make sensible decisions about how you want to spend your attention, Mm -hmm. time, energy, and other resources. Most people in the unhealthy default reality are wandering around so far away from amplified awareness. They're going along with the defaults without knowing that they're defaults. And that's part of what we want in a truly productive person, in my mind, in a healthy deviant productive person, is for me to be producing in the direction that I choose to go. Producing things that I actually want there to be more of in the world. Yeah. Not <laughs> just what the system and is trying to pull you in. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Producing solutions to the real problems that we're facing, not being sucked into the second rate solutions that just create more trouble for all yeah. of us. And I mean, that's true at the level of energy production by Mitch, you know, I'm talking about like renewable energy versus fossil fuel energy. Mm. You know, there are forms of energy in the human body mind, again, that are renewable. And then there's the sort of five hour energy supplement solution that is more along the lines of like, I'm going to force my body to Mm. dig up the last bits of reservoir energy I could have in terms of Mm. adrenaline and cortisol, and it'll keep me going, but it's extracting vitality from my own cell tissue. And I think that I'm really aware more and more now how many people have it in their mind that they have to just keep going, just keep going, work harder, work harder, get more five-hour energy into the system so they can just keep going, skip bathroom breaks so they can just keep going. And I'm like, for what? What are the rewards of all this just keeping going? Mm. 20% annualized growth for our GDP that a planet really can't sustain? Mm. The next great growth spurt, I think, for us, for our economy, for our world, is going to be regrowing the amputated parts of ourselves to reclaim a whole human being who can make sensible decisions about what we do and don't want to invest ourselves in emotionally, physically, economically. And it's a radical act, right? It's a radical act. It is a deviant act. Yeah. Um, Trying to be mindful of your time. Were there some other points that you wanted to hit on with the well, or, I'll or just. Did, did we get to them all? I think we got through all three of the nonconformist competencies. We covered two of the three renegade rituals, and I can give you a short cycle yeah. on the third one because guess what? Just like those first moments coming into your day are really important to you, and observing the cycles, the up and down rhythms, those oscillating wave patterns throughout yeah. the day, ultradian rhythms is important. You need to decelerate at the end of the day. And so mm. I have a practice called the nighttime wind down, which a lot of people have begun to understand more as we've ed- educated people about the importance of sleep. You can't just be on a go, go, go straight lane, straight line productivity and then drop off binary off on switch and go to sleep at the end of the day. You need to decelerate. You need to bring down a lot mm. of your energy and intensity and the speed and pace at which you're moving. I think about bringing down everything, the lights in the house, 
the temperature in your bedroom, mm. the pace and intensity with which you're moving, all of the things that you can bring down, bring down slowly but surely. Digital sunset, bringing down the top of your computer, shutting down mm -hmm. your electronics. You'll sleep a lot better and you'll sleep in a way that will have you feeling more rested. A lot of people too, I think, have said to me that they find the quality, not just the quantity of their sleep is better. Mm. Somebody wrote this very beautiful testimonial saying, eight hours of rich, buttery, uninterrupted sleep. And I knew exactly what she meant, that buttery, luscious quality to sleep where you're not waking up and feeling anxious or waking up and looking at the clock. You're just in like wrapped up in this soft ball of sleep from which you wake feeling wonderful. Yes. So that's the third renegade ritual practice. But Brian, I want to emphasize that there are millions and millions and millions of little skills and trips, uh, tricks and tactics and hacks. And I think we get caught up in those, again, yes. looking for solutions. So true. Bulletproofing this and, you know, cold plunging that and biohacking ourselves like crazy without actually thinking about, like, why are we having to biohack so hard? Why do we mm. need an endless stream of listicles telling us what to do and creating these incredibly complex morning practices? When I think what we need to do is most of us simplify and get back to that more essential question, how can I intervene at the level of my relationship with a culture gone mad? Mm -hmm. How can I be a sane person in the face of all of the tentacles of the unhealthy default reality that would love to have me be crazy? Because when I'm crazy, I spend more money, I spend more time and energy attention in ways I don't even know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. It's the matrix, you it know? It's matrix. just being sucked from all your resources. So waking up to that is really the most important thing. Well, I can't thank you enough for um, the tea that I've been holding as I've been sitting <laughs> through this interview and the beautiful surrounding for this conversation um, and just for welcoming me in and mm. for, for joining us all here on the podcast. Um, mm. It's been a gift. Such an honor for me. And I really admire you as a, uh, a refugee in some ways of a media industry. I think we both had to make some difficult choices about mm. at various points, you know, to succeed in the context of what looks like the so-called normal world mm. uh, is one thing, but to succeed in extracting yourself from the systems that you can tell are breaking you down and wearing you down, mm. that to me is a much greater success. And I really mm. admire your willingness and your ability to create independent media that is just so helpful to so many people oh. and to do it with such beauty and charm. This lovely thing I to behold. I appreciate that so much. And I'm, I'm curious as we, as we wrap up, um, when do you feel the most present? In moments like this, okay. for me, as an introvert, I think talking one-on-one -on -one with another real human being brings me into a sense of aliveness. And I talk often in my Healthy Deviant U groups, um, sort of an ongoing community of self-identified Healthy Deviants, mm -hmm. about the real purpose of Healthy Deviants being to connect with and illuminate the best within us. And when you feel illuminated, when you feel your lights coming on, it's important to pay attention to that. When you feel the most alive, that's use your amplified awareness to celebrate that and actually notice that part of the reason you're alive is you're aware. Yeah. And that's just, there's nothing more rewarding than having your senses ignited and your mind stimulated in a way that isn't exhausting and overwhelming. Yeah. It's actually regenerative. Yeah. So thank you for helping me Beautiful. have a moment like that today. Well, thank you so much. And um, 
I have a feeling we'll be we'll be talking again soon. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I really love having you in awesome. my world and I welcome you into my healthy deviant community. Beautiful. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks, Brian. Also, just a reminder that this podcast is not meant to replace work with a therapist. And so if you feel you need it, I encourage you to reach out to a trained mental health professional. All right, we'll talk soon.